Life is a series of little deaths. That's how Yale professor Joseph Feidelson described life. He said, life is a series of little deaths. From beginning to end, life is a string of little endings, and we all experience them. You only have to live a short time to know that this is true, that that little deaths, these small deaths, that they are stitched into the fabric of life. And today isn't so much about loss of life. This is not about the death of of loved ones or or family or or friends. Uh, This is about the small deaths that we encounter, the micro deaths that we encounter along the journey of life. And some of the little deaths that happen, you know, we're kind of glad to see, right? I mean, who wasn't happy when suspenders and acid wash jeans and fanny packs from the 80s and 90s went away, right? We were happy to see those go. And how about big hair and big bangs and perms? We were happy to say goodbye to those too, right? If anybody here is a Gen Xer like me, you know I just described the entire cast of Saved by the Bell, right? (laughs) There it is. (laughs) Somehow, uh, a lot of those styles are being resurrected even today. Don't know how that happened. They didn't stay dead long enough. I know. I know. I'm seeing it in my own home. What about the tougher uh, small deaths that we encounter in life? What about the ones that that are a little bit more difficult to to handle, to deal with, right? Adulting. How about adulting, right? Adulting means that that your childhood is in the rearview mirror, right? It means now you get the privilege of paying your own bills, like all of them. It's all on you now. Welcome to adulthood. Or how about uh, newlyweds? You know, that first year of marriage, it can be painful, surprisingly painful, Because you realize that saying goodbye to the single life also means saying goodbye to the freedom, the independence that you once enjoyed. It's like, honey, so you're telling me I need to run all my decisions by you before I make them? What? (laughs) Yes, honey, that is what I'm saying. Okay. And then children, you know, they become adolescents who become young adults. And each one of those passages is a small death for parents, isn't it? And then what about all those dreams that we had? You know, you remember all the dreams that you had for how your life was going to go, how it was going to turn out? I'll bet many of them, maybe they haven't materialized or at least they've had to be altered. Life is a series of little deaths. And that's true for every single one of us. And this conversation is important because we live in a culture that does everything it can to shield us from death of any kind. Right? For each one of us, we would prefer to think pleasant thoughts, right? To watch movies and to read books that have happily ever after at the ending. In fact, many of us are probably uncomfortable with how many times I've already said the word death today, right? Could you stop saying that word? But what I love about God is how honest he is about this topic. I love that he does, he does address this topic and he, and he does it over and over again. And, and he's all too comfortable with it, we discover. Uh, He doesn't try to shield us from the truths about life that we need to know, that we need to prepare for. He is a heavenly father who who goes after those important conversations. He touches on those subjects that he needs to talk about uh, with us as his children. And so what you see when you open the Bible is you see great candor when it comes to what God has to say about the little deaths that that we experience in life. And and when it talks about what we need to do to be able to, to handle those well. And the fact that that God, he wants to use everything we experience in life, even those little endings, 
to draw us closer to himself. He'll use those too. And that's, that's why that this, this truth that life is a series of little deaths, that it is spilled across the pages of Scripture, and especially the wisdom books of the Bible. You see it in Psalms and Proverbs. You see it in Ecclesiastes, this reality that little deaths are a part of life and that, that God has an intention. He's got a purpose for those. And, and those wisdom books of the Bible in particular, they give us a template for how to think about them, how to prepare for them, how to respond to them. For example, you see that in, in what God says through Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Solomon writes, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. In verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. See, weeping and mourning are built into they're, they're built into the emotions of life because deaths of all kinds are built into the seasons of life. And that weeping and, and that mourning, you know, those little deaths, we might approach them as a foe. We might see them as an, an annoyance to avoid, maybe even an enemy to hate. But that's not how God sees them. That's not his perspective on them. And he says that, that those little deaths, that the weeping and, and mourning that, that come out of those he says that those can have a beautiful purpose in our lives, that there's a proper and a right place that those, those have in, in our experience in this life. And one of those purposes is touched on by H. Norman Wright. He's a Christian expert on grief and loss, and listen to what he writes. He says, there's a good reason for entering fully into one's sorrow. Once you have experienced the seriousness of your loss, you will be able to experience the wonder of being alive. Do you know what we find in the middle of little deaths? What we find in the midst of, of weeping and sorrow and mourning? We find this deep existential experience of being fully human, of being fully alive. That's what we get in that. And, and, and we have this experience with weeping and mourning after the little deaths. We have this experience that the animal kingdom will never know. These are, these are emotions, these are experiences that are reserved for those who bear the image of the creator. God has reserved them for us. And there's this profound sense of knowing who we were meant to be when we dive into those little deaths and, and when we respond to them with, with weeping and mourning. And so God invites us into that sorrow, into that mourning that followed these micro deaths. But what I love so much about God is that it's it, it, like he does in so many other ways. He doesn't just teach us about this. He doesn't just tell us what's coming. He lived it. I mean, he experienced it. He experienced little deaths himself. In fact, when the Son of God came here to live among us, to sojourn with us for three decades, he experienced little deaths himself long before he ever tasted death on the cross. He went through those seasons of life. He crawled into the boat with us, and he traveled through that journey of life that includes those small deaths, those little micro losses that we go through. And there were little deaths that he endured, little deaths that, that he chose. And, and if you, you think about those, uh, what Isaiah says as he's describing the Messiah, as he's saying what the Messiah is going to go through in his time here, this is what he writes, Isaiah 53.3. He said, Jesus would be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And consider that for a moment. 
Jesus' constant companions in his time here on earth weren't just his closest disciples. Sorrow and grief were with him everywhere he went to. God went through this. God experienced this in his time here among us. And think about the little deaths that he endured. And Philippians 2 says that before he even stepped foot on the planet, that Jesus, that he set aside his divine privileges so that he might take on the form of a servant. Those divine rights that he had, they had to die for a time so he could be here among us, so he could become one of us. Or how about in the Gospels? We see that, that in the Gospel of Mark, that as Jesus' ministry of teaching and miracles is really getting going, that his mother, his siblings, they show up to a place where he's gathering with his disciples. And, and as they come there, they're not coming to learn from him. Okay, they haven't shown up to follow the Messiah. No, the Gospel of Mark tells us in Mark chapter 3, Mark says, then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he is out of his mind. The mother who loved him, that he had loved, who had raised him, the siblings he had spent decades with, they came, but not to join him. They weren't there to follow him. They were there because they thought he was nuts. This was a family intervention. I mean, they looked at him and thought, he's a lunatic. We are taking him home. We're getting him out of here. And those relational losses, those huge relational losses, those followed him throughout most of his ministry. He experienced little deaths too in his time here with us. Little deaths that he chose, little deaths that he endured. And the same would be true for us. As we travel through the journey of life, we're going to encounter little deaths of all kinds and all throughout life. I mean, you might find at some point in your career, you just realize, you know what, I think, I think I'm at the wrong company. This is not where I need to be to be the kind of, of husband and, and, and father or, or wife and, and mother that my family needs me to be. Or you realize, I think I'm in the wrong friendship. This is not the kind of friend that my soul needs. And a little death happens. A little death takes place. But there are also little deaths that take place just, just as we move through the stages of life. For the last three years, I have uh, studied a particular stage of life as part of my dissertation. And I, I focused in on parents of teenagers and looked at what did they experience in that phase of life. I've got some teenagers in my home, so that really worked out. But I was asking the question, what is it that gets like parents of teenagers off track spiritually? What, what bumps, bumps them off course from their relationship with God? And, and what helps them too? But specifically, what bumps them off course? And, and I read thousands of pages. I, I surveyed over 100 pastors and Christian counselors here in the greater Austin area and said, like, what gets them off course? Like, what stops them from, from growing as disciples, uh, parents of teenagers? And do you know what the number one cause of parents of teenagers losing their way spiritually was? It wasn't the teenagers in their home. That wasn't it. The number one cause of parents of teenagers losing their way in their relationship with God is feeling overwhelmed. Feeling overwhelmed. That's what the response was, that they are overwhelmed. And the, one of the reasons that they feel overwhelmed is because that parent of teenagers 
is also a midlifer. And do you know what's really tough about being a midlifer? You are surrounded by death. <laughs> You've got deaths taking place in every part of life, kind of all at once. It's a tough time of life. If you see a midlifer, give them a hug. They could use it. But think about, think about the losses. You know, if you're there, if you've been there, think about the losses that happen in, in a midlifer's life. Um, there's physical loss, right? Uh, at about the time that a parent has teenagers in their home, their body comes to them and body says, hey, look, uh, I'm kind of tired, you know? Like, I've given you 40-plus good years, and I need a break. So if you ever want to read a book or see a billboard again, you're going to need some reading glasses immediately. Body says, uh, that phone that you just dropped on the ground, yeah, you go ahead. You go ahead and bend down and pick that up because that's all it's going to take for you to throw your back out. You're going to be on the floor in the fetal position for three hours, followed by months of physical therapy, not to get rid of the pain, just to manage it. It's a tough time physically being a midlifer. There's physical loss. There's physical little deaths that take place. There's also emotional and mental loss that takes place for a midlifer. Your mind, your emotions, they conspire together and they come to you and they say, so you're kind of at about the 50-yard line of life, you know, Lord willing, hopefully. And so it's about time that we do a review of your first half of life. Let's just kind of talk about how you've done. And we want to give you a heads up. This is going to hurt, <laughs> like bad, okay, because we're not going to really talk about, we're not going to focus on the good stuff. There's, there's good stuff. We're going to really like zero in on the ways you've messed things up, relationally, professionally, spiritually. We're going to focus there. So prepare yourself. <laughs> prepare yourself. There's going to be some regret. There's going to be some guilt. There's going to be a lot of shame. It's a tough time mentally. It's a tough time emotionally. And then, and then how about relationships? There's relational loss too because you're a teenager they come to you and they say, hi, uh, you don't know me, but I have possessed your son or your daughter for the next like three to six years. And we just want to give you a heads up now that everything you do is going to be absolutely embarrassing to us. I mean, like everything. Okay? And no reason to try to avoid it. There's nothing you can do about it. Uh, in fact, it's not so much what you do. It's more kind of who you are, you know, that embarrasses us. You know what I mean? Like, Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that heads up. And then, and then that's happening. All the while, your parents are aging. And so you realize at some point, I, I think I am the parent of my parents now. Like that relationship just flipped. And so you, you get to be squeezed in the vice grips of a dad and a teenage son who are both simultaneously livid with you because you have taken away both of their sets of car keys. You know, it's like, dad... <laughs> Give me your keys. Son, give me your keys. I'm not sure either one of you is getting them back. It's a tough time relationally. You can be squeezed. It's called the churning point, and that's not an accident that it's called that. It's an overwhelming time of life. And, and I know I am a 45-year-old, so I'm going through it right now. I mostly laugh, so I don't cry. So give me a hug after the service maybe. There are little deaths that we are going to experience just because we're alive. There are little losses that will happen just as you move through the stages, the seasons of life. And it's part of the plan. It's, it's, it's what God has intended to happen. And these little deaths that we endure, that, that we go through, 
uh, I think, you know, the best question to ask now is how do we deal with them? You know, how do we handle these losses? How do we respond to the little deaths that take place in our life? How do we handle them in a way that allows us to recover, to, to heal? And what I want to do is I want to share with you something that we can be doing before the little deaths come. And there's something that we need to do during the little deaths as the losses are happening. And then finally, what do we need to remember after the little deaths? And I want to start with what we need to do during the little losses, th- those small deaths in our lives, because that's going to help us to prepare for, uh, for the little deaths as they come. What do we need to do beforehand? So let's start with what we need to do during the little deaths. First thing, what you need to do during those losses in life is you need to grieve. You've got to grieve them. And we need to grieve those little losses. And, and how do we grieve well? Well, we're going to need three things. You're going to need three, three, three things to grieve well. And the first is you're going to need prayer. You are going to need prayer in your life. You're going to need a conversational relationship with God, this back and forth where you are talking to God, you're listening to God as he responds back to you. You're, you're having this, this conversation with him about life, and you do that a lot. And what I appreciate so much about the Psalms is that they show us, they prove to us that God, that God can take every emotion that we have. You know, he welcomes every emotion. He's not, he's not shy. He's not embarrassed. No, he wants us to bring those to him, to share those with him, to talk to him about those things through prayer. And the reason is because he's the only one who can help us through them and help us to heal. And so we're going to need prayer. We're going to need that back and forth conversational prayer life with the Lord. Second thing you're going to need is you're going to need a person. You're going to need a person. If you're going to grieve effectively, if you're going to grieve well, you need a safe person. Call it a friend. No, a real friend. You're going to need the kind of friend who knows how to listen to you. Someone who's not embarrassed by tears or anger, they can handle those things, or at least they can learn how to handle those things. You're going to need the kind of friend who who knows when to speak up and when to bring God's wisdom to the conversation, but they're not going to cram scripture down your throat. You know, they, they they have wisdom about when to listen, when to say something. You're going to need prayer. You're going to need a person. You're going to need a friend, a real friend. And the reason why we need both of those is because unexpressed emotions, emotions that we bottle up, that we just hold in, they're like frozen water. And that frozen water, what does it do? It expands, and it can burst open a steel pipe. And so in prayer, in this relationship with God, and and with this friendship, um, in in both of those relationships, what we can do is we we can share those emotions. We release them. Because if we don't release them, what happens is they get stuck. They get stuck inside of our souls, and they will eventually erupt. And it's almost always on the people that we love most. We're going to need prayer. We're going to need a person. And then third, we're going to need forgiveness with a P. That's right. All you Baptists out there, don't you love that alliteration? You know, people from Pflugerville, you like to throw that P in front of a word any chance you get We're going to need some forgiveness too, probably. If you're going to grieve well, you don't just need prayer in a person. There's a good chance that you're going to need forgiveness, that you're going to need to offer forgiveness to to a person in your life in order to be able to grieve that loss well. And this is what forgiveness means. Forgiveness means letting go of the anger that we're holding against someone. It means letting go of the anger we're holding against someone. Whatever you're holding against someone, it means releasing that, letting go of that. 
And so if you've endured a little death that was caused by someone else's choices, even if those choices were, were good, even if they were for your benefit, if you're holding on to something uh, against them, if you're holding on to anger against them, this is the path. This is the only path. It's, it's releasing that. It, it's letting go of that. It, it's choosing to forgive them. And I've got some great news for you. The great news is that you don't even want, you don't even have to want to forgive them. You don't have to want to forgive them. Look, this is the process that I use when I need to forgive someone, especially when I, I don't want to. I have no desire to do so. This is my process. These are kind of my series of prayers that I will pray to the Lord. And, and the first is I will say, God, I don't want to forgive. Please help me. You know, I, I can't do this without you. I can't want to forgive them. I'm going to need you to, like, steer this ship. I need you to help me through this. God, I don't want to forgive. Please help me. And, and I pray that. I pray that a couple of times a day for however long it takes. And once I start to experience, you know, the spirit of God changing my heart, uh, he does that, right? He changes our heart. He softens it towards the person. And as I, as I experience that beginning to happen, then, then I'll pray the second prayer. The second prayer is, God, all right, I want to forgive. Please help me. Right, even when the desire is there, we, we still need God's help. He's, he's going to have to be the one to empower this process, to empower that forgiveness. And so, God, please help me. So I work through that. You know, spend a little time praying, God, I want to forgive. You know, it's, it's emotional at this point. It's got to become volitional. It's got to be a choice. So that third prayer is, God, I choose to forgive. Please help me. Because even when you're ready to choose, you still need God to power that, that forgiveness so you say, God, I choose to forgive. And, and then you do that. You make that choice. And, and you release that anger, right? And that, that is part of how you grieve. It's an important part of that process of how you grieve. And then a month later, you go down the road. If you realize, oh, no, I'm taking that offense back. I'm taking that anger back. Then you pray this last prayer. And it's, God, I choose to forgive again. Would you please help me to do that? Help me forgive again. And you release that again. You need to do that again. You, you do it once more down the road. And look, and there's, there's a good chance that at somewhere along the way, you're going to need forgiveness too, right? And so you go to your friend or your wife, your husband, and you tell them, look, I, I know it's hard to forgive me. I'm asking you to, and, and I'm praying. I am praying that God would help you to be able to forgive me. They're going to need his help too. But what do we do if the person that we're angry at is God. What do we do then? What if the person that we're holding on to something, you know, anger, something else, some other emotion against, what if it's God Almighty? How do we let go of that? How do we find freedom from that? Well, oftentimes our perspective is, you know, this little death, this little loss, God, you're sovereign. You could have stopped it. You could have done something about it. And why didn't you? And the reality is that if you're going to let go of anger towards God that you've been holding on to, you're going to have to forgive God. I know it kind of sounds wrong. You know, it sounds almost like heresy, forgive God. But remember that forgiveness means letting go of anger you're holding on to. It's letting go of, of this anger that, that you're holding against someone. And so if you're holding anger against God, what do you have to do? God, forgive him. You got to forgive him. And, and the irony in this is that God is going to have to help us to forgive him. He's got to be involved in that process too. If we're really going to truly forgive him and, and let go of that anger. 
And so, so what do you do? Well, you, you could work that same process, that, that same set of prayers where you go to God and you say, God, I don't want to forgive you. Would you please help me? And you let God, you know, do some work on your heart, uh, you know, and, and emotionally he's making some changes in your heart. And then you say, all right, God, I want to forgive you. Would you please help me? And then, God, I, I choose to forgive you. Please help me. Please empower that. Please make that happen in my life. And then if you're pulling it back, if you're, you're, you're grabbing a hold of it again, that anger, you say, God, I choose to forgive you again. Please help me. It's the same process. You need to forgive God. He's ready. He's ready to help you to do that. And after we've, we've prayed that set of prayers to him, and we follow that with, God, I, I apologize that I've held on to my anger against you. Would you forgive me? And he is ready, he is willing, he is glad to help us do that. You know, he's glad to forgive us, he is glad to help us to forgive him. He will empower us through it. You know, you might need to be patient, it might take some time, but, but God, he's committed to that. He will help you. You bring that to him, he'll help you forgive another person. He will help you forgive him. So to grieve well, you're going to need prayer. You're going to need this conversational relationship with God. You're going to need a person, this, this friend who's able to, to work through this with you, to pray with you, to talk with you, and you're going to need forgiveness. There's a good chance you're going to need forgiveness. Release that anger. Release those emotions. Let them go with God's help. And now that we know what we're going to need during the little deaths, what do we do before them? What do we do before they show up? We need to expect them. We've got to expect the, the little losses are going to come. We need to write them into our calendars, plan on them. I mean, what if we expected all kinds of little deaths instead of hoping they won't happen to us? What if we planned on them instead of resisting them? What if we did that? Because unmet expectations, they're painful. We all know that. And unmet expectations, what happens is they give birth to frustration and disappointment, but they can also... Like they can become not just the parents of frustration and disappointment, they can become the grandparents of anger and then the great-grandparents of bitterness and resentment. And so if we planned on the little deaths, if we expected them, if we knew they were coming, that might help us when we get to the frustration and disappointment, that might help us to deal, deal with them with God's help so that they don't give birth to those harsher emotions that, that can hold on to us and that we can hold on to. And so we need to expect them. So look, if, if you're in your 30s, you are uh, preparing for midlife, you're getting ready for midlife, what you need to do is you need to come, you need to know that this is coming over your next decade and a half. You need to know that the midlife experience, it is coming your way, and you cannot stop it, but you can prepare for it. You can get ready for it. And what are you going to do? What do you need to do to be ready for it? Well, first thing I would say is you need a rock-solid truth-filled relationship with God. You need to, to follow Jesus so closely that you know that he is your Savior, that you know that he is your Lord, and that you trust him. Because the middle of the storm is no place to start wondering if you trust the captain of the ship. And so you pursue God full out, wholeheartedly. You get that rock-solid, truth-filled relationship with God, and you do it now. What else do you need to prepare for what's coming in midlife? Well, you're going to need three things. You're going to need prayer. You're going to need a person. You're going to need forgiveness. Right? You're going to need prayer, this, this relationship with God where you're bringing everything to him all the time. You're going to need a, a person, this friend of virtue who loves you for you. And then you're going to need forgiveness. 
Practice forgiving early and often right now. Do it now. Because these micro deaths, they're coming in midlife. And you can't step into the batter's box and hope to hit a 95 mile an hour fastball without practice. It just doesn't work that way. It takes thousands of reps. And so suit up. Get in the batting cages now so that you're ready then. So you're ready when those little deaths start hitting in midlife. Before the little deaths come, we need to expect them. We need to prepare for them. Please don't wait to do that. During those little deaths, we need to grieve them. We need prayer. We need a person. We're going to need forgiveness. And then what about after? What do we do after the little deaths? Enjoy the resurrection. Enjoy the resurrection. You see, that quote that started this sermon, it doesn't have a period on the end of it. It has a comma. And here's the rest of it. Life is a series of little deaths out of which life always returns. Life is a series of little deaths out of which life always returns. You see, the only way you get to a resurrection is through a death. The only way you get to a resurrection is through a death. And that's even true in nature. I mean, every day has to die for a new day to spring to life. Right? It's the, the cold, the drab, the gray of winter that you have to make it through to get to the sunshine, the life, the vibrance of spring. And think about this for a moment. I'll bet this is true for every single one of us. That every good thing in your life probably came after something else died. I mean, that job that you love so much, it came after the job where you were let go and it didn't work out. The spouse that, that you love and are married to, you probably met them after that previous relationship. It didn't pan out. You didn't end up marrying them like you thought you would. I mean, even think about parenting. Parenting has to die in order for you to become a grandparent, Right? And is there anything better in the world than being a grandparent? Come on. I mean, I've heard. It's like all the fun, right? None of the rules. All the theme parks. None of the fights. All the chocolate. None of the broccoli. And the best part of it may be that you are not the one who has to deal with the consequences, right? You're welcome, mom and dad. Here you go. Go see your parents. It's true for all of us. Every good thing God has brought into our lives probably came after something else had to die. Probably came after something else had to die. And so we can have hope, you know, as we expect, as we prepare for the little deaths, as we grieve them, as we dive deep into, into that process, praying, having a, a friend, uh, pursuing forgiveness. But we can, we can trust and we can worship the Lord who brings resurrections out of the little deaths in our lives. Right, Because we worship Yahweh, and he invented resurrections, didn't he? I mean, he perfected resurrections. And so if you attach yourself to him, you're going to love the resurrections that he brings into your life. Those little deaths, they just lead to a resurrection. That's how Yahweh works. That's what he does. Life, it's a series of little deaths. It's a series of little deaths. And every little death that we encounter, it's a rehearsal. It's a rehearsal for our actual death one day. And yet even that death is no death at all. 
Because God assures those who are his that all death does is, is uh, unlocks the door to our final resurrection. And then one day, even death itself will die. And we will get to enjoy life everlasting with him. That's his promise to every single one of his sons and daughters. That's his promise to us. Let's go to him in prayer. Let's thank our, our gracious and loving God who turns those little deaths into resurrections. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a courageous and loving Father. That you have prepared us for the little deaths that we experience, that we will experience. And, and that, Lord, you have promised to be with us through each one of them. That you will never leave us, that we will never be alone. And we thank you for that. We praise you for that. And the reason that you know what we need is because you experienced them yourself. You were, you were not immune to them. You chose to, to enter those, those losses too when you came here to be among us. And so we ask that you would show your great power by bringing life out of the small deaths that we experience in this life. Lord, you did that with your son. We ask you to do that over and over again in our lives as we experience those losses. And we ask, Lord, that you would use those little deaths in our lives to make us more and more like Jesus, that we might become like Christ in all of life. We pray that in your son's name. Amen.